It's recording. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for having us and want to bring greetings from the New Testament Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and certainly good to be here. It's a blessing after two years of not being able to get out and see most of y'all. We've talked on the phone with some of you, but you know, I was thinking about Ron's message and Larry's message this morning, and uh, I know I've seen this many times at conferences, how the Holy Spirit works, because we have one guide, one guide in the church, and that's the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth. And the messages come together. They complement one another. Uh, we don't have contradictions. We have messages going together. And, and charity, love, and you talked about that this morning, Larry, about love and charity, and that is the greatest motivation. God puts that love in our heart because of our own nature, we would not be here if it was left up to the flesh. But we're guided by a higher love. And you mentioned that love yesterday, Ron, and, and all the things that Jesus Christ went through, but you read over in Hebrew that he did it for the joy of us, that, that we might be redeemed. So this morning, I want to talk about what God has given us and I want us to turn to Matthew's chapter 5. Matthew's chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus Christ, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. This is a very popular scripture read in many, many different religious settings around the world. And of course, uh, the theme in most religious world today is uh, in regards to fleshly things. But we want to we look at this today in the spiritual light. One of the biggest mistakes is that they assume right out of the beginning verses, that Jesus Christ is teaching this to the multitude, to anyone in the world, that this is a general message given to everyone in the world. But look back at what he says in the opening two verses, what is said. When he went into a mountain after seeing the multitude, and when he was set, his disciples, that is the church, 
came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. The message was to the disciples, to the church, so it is today. Now, anyone can pick up a Bible and read it, if you can acquire a Bible and read it, but who understands the truth? You and I are human beings. We're all people. We understand what we're taught, what our eyes are open to see. Jesus Christ taught his disciples, and that's more than just speaking to them. Now, maybe the multitudes heard him speaking, but did they understand the words in verse 3 down through verse 12? My guess would be no. In fact, I know for sure none of us would understand it except that our eyes be open. So understand that his audience here is to the disciples. And so today, this is a message that the Spirit is laying on the heart of the church. It is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's start with that one. This is a study I did a while back, and so I want to try to condense this down into one message and, and look at what this is saying, the poor in spirit. And everybody says, well, someone who's poor, someone who does not have a lot of money or assets. Well, what does this mean? And then what does the kingdom of heaven mean? It's important to know what these things mean. As we've now established who the audience is, the audience is the church and no one else. He's teaching the church. So what God is saying, and I want us to turn uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Larry, I know you read this. I'm not being a copycat, but that's how the Holy Spirit works. As I mentioned, there's a lot of you know, guidance here as the messages come together. Because God does not use those rich in their own conceit. He uses those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. He says here in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty or noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So he has called out, and his church and, and members are not the scholars and the, and the doctorates, degrees, people of the evangelical elite that, that know a lot because they've been to colleges or education, but he's called out the poor in spirit. That is, those, when we are brought, I know in my own personal experience, I, I was nothing, and I felt like nothing, and I realized I had nothing to bring to God into his church when I was called over 40 years ago. I didn't come into the church, and I don't think any of you did, thinking, well, I know why God called me, because I've got it going on, and he brought me in to help the church out. That is not the attitude we are brought in. We know we are weak. We are made to know we are weak. You may say, well, Paul, what about Paul? He was a Pharisee, and yet he was humbled, very much so. And he would go on, we won't turn there, but he talked about how his work, he counted all that which he had before as nothing, as dung. All of what he had, his education, his status as a Pharisee, 
which would be the equivalent of a doctorate's degree today because they were very educated and knowledgeable. All of that he counted as nothing. When he came into the church and he was brought in by the grace of God, he was brought in completely raw. All of that was left behind. And so it is with us. Let's look at an example of this. Matthew's chapter 9. Turn to Matthew's chapter 9. In fact, Jesus Christ himself came under criticism for this. And we'll see here in Matthew's 9, verse 9. <clears throat> Matthew's 9 and 9. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And always, I love this because he arose and followed him. There's no free will there. He didn't give him an invitation. He told him to do something and he did it. He was at work. He was doing his thing. Collecting taxes. Working for the Romans. And he got up and followed him. That's the power of God. That's how it works. Not the way the world teaches. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in, in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? I could just hear the disgust in their voice. Why is this scholar, this, this teacher Jesus of yours, eating with such reprobates? I can hear the Pharisees saying, but when Jesus heard that he said to them, they that behold, he said to them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go you and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he will make us to know that. He will bring us to a point of humility and understanding that when we are brought into his house, we are humble. We are in our understanding. We're poor. We've got nothing to offer God. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. And among the Jews, that was the lowest form of life, a traitor. One who had sold out to the Romans and they called them publicans. Sinners, those that did not worship or... or they were not into the religion. Maybe they broke the law. And because Israel was under Roman occupation, and here was Matthew, a tax collector, hated especially of the religious establishment, and Jesus calls him and brings him into the fold, goes and eats at his house among other people of like manner. And so he was criticized. So it is today, people criticize us. They say, well, why would you have someone in your church that, that doesn't, uh, you know, that used to, to, you know, do certain things or, or live a certain way? They said, we don't have them in our church. God brought them into our church, put them there by His grace and His will, and we're blessed to have them. So Matthews, like all the others called, were brought in by the will of God at the appointed time. So blessed are the poor in, in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn, and mourn means to sorrow. And, and uh, mourn, is, you think of someone mourning in sorrow because they've lost a dear loved one or something horrible's happened to him, but, but we're all in sorrow. And, and again, it, 
many people don't think that, but really, in the state of things, we're all depraved. I believe Ron mentioned this morning. We're, we're all depraved. We are all sinners according to, to God. And none of us are worthy. So really it's saying blessed are those who come to that understanding. And we will be brought to that understanding before we're brought into God's church. That we may know that we're here by grace. Turn to John. Gospel of John 16. Gospel of John 16. And verse 20, John 16 and 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. For joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Now, here Jesus is talking to the disciples. And, he, you know, a lot of people say, well, he's talking about the fact that they're going to sorrow when, when Jesus is crucified and he leaves them. Well, uh, that is true. But we all have sorrow. We all, I believe, in our journey into God's church, when we're brought, we come to a point of understanding we're totally helpless. This is not as the world teaches. You've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, make up your mind that I'm going to be saved and accept God and clean up my life and do my works and things. Well, then you can share in the glory of salvation. Well, that's not the way it is. We, we know we have nothing to offer God. We're brought to that point how helpless we are. Sorrow, grief, mourning. We're brought to that point that we may know that our salvation is of the Lord. He says we're going to have sorrow, and in this life we will. And I think spiritually we're going to have sorrow. We're going to have doubts, and we're going to be sorrowful. And we may be persecuted and other things that take place because of the fact that we're serving God in truth and spirit. We may have those in the world that does not see eye to eye with us and may say hurtful things. But we will be given joy. In fact, we have joy here today because we know we're in the presence of the Lord, that He loves us, and we know we have a reward in heaven. And that cannot be taken away. And by the way, these things we're reading out of Matthew's 5, they go hand in hand. They're not random words thrown out. You know, poor in spirit, those that mourn, and then we're going to look at peace here in a minute. They all go hand in hand. These are all things God facilitates within us. He takes the poor, those who are not religious and pious like the Pharisees, and he molds them into what he wants us to be. The same with those who mourn, and he brings us about. You know, Ron, you said yesterday, and I believe I want to go there and read it, uh, Hebrews 12, I believe it was, Hebrews 12. Jesus Christ was a man subject to temptation, pain, hunger, and sorrow. He mourned. 
It said over there when Lazarus was being resurrected that Jesus wept. I don't think he put on a show. I think he really wept. I think he was sorrowful. And so in Hebrews 12, I mean, we mourn. We're brought to that point. Well, Jesus Christ said, I believe it's verse, well, I'll start in verse 1, Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, the, the motivation, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There was great mourning and sorrow there, pain, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's saying to us, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, took on our sin to himself, lest you be uh, wearied and faint in your minds. Even our Lord mourned and had sorrow and pain. So, so it is that we are brought to that point, but we can be comforted, and that, joy, that sorrow is soon turned to joy. As Jesus had joy because, and like the woman in travail of birth, She's in great distress, physical pain, but then she sees the birth of her child. She has great joy as a result of that. We'll look at hunger, hunger and thirst after righteousness. You think, well, being hungry is not a good thing. You, you don't want to be hungry. Well, yes and no. I enjoy being hungry when I know I'm going to get something to eat because I enjoy eating so much. So there's a good side to that. But we're talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. How many people today in the religious world feel like they know everything? And you try to tell them something you understand or know, and they look at you like, why are you talking to me? I already know everything. I can teach you a thing or two. But really, we're more blessed when we're listening and, and, and we're taking in information and hearing things. Let's go to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John 6, verse 24. Gospel of John 6 and 24. And when, and this is right after, I'll just set the stage, this is right after 5,000 people were fed with the, the fish and the loaves. The two fish, five loaves, 5,000 people, and they physically ate, and they were full, and there was leftovers. And then, in verse 24, and when the people, all those people, therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they're seeking Jesus. How were they seeking Jesus, or in what frame of mind? This is important. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when cometh thou hither? So you say, well, see, that's how it should be. The world says you've got to go seeking after Jesus. Okay, they sought him. Why? Jesus answered that question. He answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. They were looking for worldly things. They were seeking 
physical things. They did not hunger after righteousness. They were hungering after what goodies they could get from the Lord. Folks, that's the way it is today in the religious world. I use this example often. I worked with a guy years ago, and he told me, he said, I, I, go, I go to different churches because I'm not going to go to a church unless it makes me feel good about myself. That's, I know that to us that's foreign, but you know, it wouldn't be if it wasn't for the grace of God. He brought us to the point of being poor in spirit and knowing we're poor in spirit. He humbled us. He made us meek. And He makes us the hunger and thirst after spiritual things. We're not here today to get some miracle in the flesh. We're here to seek out or, or bread and fish or, or just food or things to build up our ego in the flesh. Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perish, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. That's truth. That's doctrine of truth. Which the Son of Man should give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? So they asked, Well, what should we do? Again, I think they're only seeking after things of the flesh as we all would if it wasn't for the work of God in us. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Not just go after him for the goodies, but believe on him. And folks, I'm going to go a little further than that. Most people leave it at that and say, Well, that's what you got to do. you got to believe. You're not going to believe in truth until God makes you. And that's how it is. So in John, uh, let me go back down to it, in John, 20, uh, John 6 and 48, he says, I am the bread of life, spiritual bread, of course, he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers did eat the physical manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, again, I, I think like before, he's teaching the disciples this. Now, others may have heard him, but they didn't understand in fact, this is written in uh, similar in, in another scripture about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And, and many, they said many of his disciples, and say disciple, not the disciples, but many who had followed him didn't follow him anymore. They, they said they couldn't understand that. But the disciples did because their eyes had been opened. What this simply means is that we eat of his word. We eat of his truth. We understand it. Now, to the world, it's poison. You know, there's certain things, if you eat physically, it'll poison you. It will not benefit you. I believe the same as with God's Word. God's Word will only benefit those to whom it's given. Everybody else, it's not going to affect them. They're going to hear it. It's going to go in one ear and out the other because they don't understand it. Jesus Christ is the Word, John 1. He came as the Word. He came to establish the Word of God. He spoke the words that God had given him to the people. 
God had given him. And that bread is what he's using as a physical example to represent that word. So those of us who hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're hungering and thirsting after the doctrines and truth of God. And that is the food, the spiritual food that leads to everlasting life. What everlasting life? A life forever with our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. They shall be filled. He promises that we will be filled. That's what we're doing today. All the speakers, the fellowship, the, the reading of the Bible, and most of all, the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. We are being filled. The bread we're eating is of the Lord, and it's spiritual bread, so we're very blessed. Uh, let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. We're dead to what? The world. We no longer seek to please the flesh. We come, we fellowship, yeah, I'm happy to see everybody. I genuinely am. And, and even in the flesh, I'm so glad to see all of you. But our primary purpose here is to seek after the things of God. That's what we do in church. That's what we do in the conferences. And God lays before us a table of food, spiritual food that we might eat. He provides it through His servants and through one another and the wisdom and understanding He has given us that we might share it amongst one another. So anyway, this is that which we hunger and thirst after. And then He says, the mercy, the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Turn over to, uh, <clears throat> let's go to Romans chapter 12. Book of Romans, chapter 12. Verse, uh, let's start out with verse uh, 10. Here it says in Romans 12 and 10, Be kindly affectionate, or affectioned, one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Now that's not lip service, that is being affectionate in regards to our brothers in Christ, preferring one another, comforting, helping one another in the spiritual to, to build ourselves up. And I, I want to skip down to um, mm. verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Distributing what? We talked about bread, the Word of God. Distributing truth and understanding. We all have needs. We all need to eat. and We all have necessities. We feed one another, each and every one of us. It may be in a question you ask. It may be something you say, you know, as we sit down and we, we eat this afternoon and we're fellowshipping. One word, one sentence, and we get to talking about something in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is guiding us. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. And what is our necessity? It's the Word of God. We feed on His Word. 
Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. And I think, again, we're talking about uh, not, not somebody that would break in your house and attack you physically. We're talking about bless them who you may have disagreements with in, in the church or in, in, in subjects of, of, of spiritual. That's fine. We may have disagreement. We don't know all things. That's part of the learning process. I know I'm wrong in a lot of things. And, and uh, when you listen, and, and that's what he's saying, basically, bless them. In other words, listen, be patient, listen. When they may criticize you, don't curse. Don't get upset. Don't pout. Listen. You might learn. That's God's will, and that's how he works. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend, that is, get down on the level, to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. In other words, you know, there's different levels of understanding. God, I mean, none of us know it all, and I don't. I certainly don't. You, know, you mentioned Don this morning, and, you know, uh, Hackney and Austin Fields. I remember them. Of course, I remember Don. He, he, he was the pastor of the church that I started in uh, 45 years ago, and he, he taught me. And, you know, I always think, I will never know one-tenth of what he knows. And that's, that's the truth. It is. But, you know, I should not put myself down. I know what God has given me to know. Nothing more, nothing less. And same with all of us. And, and so we, we listen to everyone. We, we are not wise in our own conceit. Why? Because every ounce of wisdom and understanding we have is given to us of God. And I want to go to a passage I know we're getting on time, and I don't want to run over too too long. I'll try to wrap this up in the next hour and a half. I'm looking at the clock there, so <clears throat> no, I won't last that long. Trust me. You're right. I am. Okay. Well, two hours and a half. Let me give you that. Turn to First Corinthians chapter three. Give you an example of that. First Corinthians, a problem that happened here at this church. This was a real problem, and God sent his servant <coughs> Paul to deal with it. And it's written for us. All these letters, the Bible here, the New Testament, is for us, for all of the church. And he's, let's begin in verse 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, this is uh, God speaking through his servant Paul. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. In other words, I've got to, do, I've got to tell you something that's going on that I've, I've seen and, and let you know about it, even as unto babes in Christ. I've fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you now able. He's talking to, he's writing a letter to this church at Corinth. God is writing the letter through Paul, and he's saying, For you are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? What was going on here? Well, here's what happened. 
one group in the church in verse 4, For while one saith, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Aren't you being childish? Are you not being in the flesh? Basically what it was, this church kind of was in two camps. One said, well, Paul was my mentor. And the other said, well, Apollos was my mentor. I know more than you do because I follow the teachings of Apollos. So I don't know how big this church was, but they had some elders, Paul, Paulus, and they had people that thought they were better than the other half because of their mentor. Well, that's not the way to think. There was a, that's an error. Because Paul says, who is Paul? And who is Apollos? Minister. You know what a minister is? A waiter. I remember Walt taught that here a few years ago. A waiter. Nothing but a servant. That's all a minister is. Look it up in the original Greek. By whom you believe, even I as the Lord, the Lord gave to every man. Now our teacher, I know we see people get up here and teach, but it's the Lord teaching you here today. Not me, not Larry, not, not Ron, the Lord. Through us, yes, we're tools, we're servants. We're serving the food like a waiter serves what is prepared by the chef. I have planted, Apollo watered, but it's God that giveth the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but it's God that giveth the increase. So it's important. To remember that. And, and I think we understand that. I, I know we do. But this church had a problem with that. And Paul set them straight. He says, forget about me. Forget about Apollos. We're nothing. It's God. God is the head of your church. He's the one that provides. You're following His words. He's the author. We're nothing but servants. So Paul here, and we'll get to the last point here before I close out. Paul was acting as a peacemaker. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemaker. Paul here was dealing with a church that needed to be humbled. He was dealing with a church that had issues in, in, in showing love and, and humbleness and patience with one another. And he was acting as a peacemaker. By the will of God. He was saying to this church, no, you're, you're not, you've got the wrong attitude here, folks. Let's go to Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. So, who did the folks at Corinth what were they thinking? God called them. They didn't call themselves. They didn't die for their own sins. The Spirit is the one that, that, that gave the charge to Paul and Apollos to, to teach 
And it is God's word. And they're one body. And that body is bound and, and guided by the Spirit. It's all God. So there is one calling. And we are charged to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Well, that's how God works. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. We come together. We listen. We're patient. We're peacemakers when we can be, as God guides us. And so blessed are the peacemakers. And I want to then uh, read one more, a couple more passages before I close. Uh, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And I know that sounds difficult. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You say, well, it's hard to... Think of being blessed when you're persecuted. I mean, how, how, how can that happen? I'm going to read a scripture to me that's very comforting. But before I read that one, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now, I won't read it, but back in Matthew's 10, Jesus Christ told his disciples, Think not that I'm come to bring peace on earth, but I come to bring a sword and division, and there will be divisions, and those of your own household will rise up against you. In other words, as you're brought into God's church and in his truth and faith, there are going to be many who have not been brought in that are going to hate you and revile you. So here in 2 Corinthians it says, We are trouble on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And we know that. We, we, we've been shown that. We're not forsaken because God is with us. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. God will not allow us to be destroyed. That is, our faith will never be taken from us. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord uh, Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That is the word, the teachings of Jesus. That's what we teach. That's what we are led of the Spirit to teach. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for those things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. So what we're studying today, we're not studying for the sake of the flesh, to build up the flesh and glorify ourselves, works and prestige, 
but we're talking about things spiritual. We're going to reap our reward. We're going to reap our rewards in the hereafter. And I think even now in this life, we have the reward of, of, of the joy that we get when we come together and worship in God. That's, that's, to me, a reward too. But it's not flesh. It's spiritual. We have affliction, and we're not promised perfection and, and an easy time in the flesh. You say, well, what a persecution. Will, will I be able to stand if I'm persecuted? And I've always asked myself that. I don't think I would be able to. Well, I want to turn to Matthew's chapter 10. Our assurance in all things rests in God, and I think this is no exception. Matthew's 10 and 17. It says here, Jesus speaking here, he says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their, and it says synagogue, but let's say worship places. What would happen if one of us went and spoke to someone who is of the religious world? They might scourge you, they may say hateful things. In those days, people were actually physically assaulted. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But here's the assurance, verse 19. But when they deliver you, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So God promises us that. If we're brought to a point, I've often wondered, well, you know, if I have a, someone came up to me that is outside of the church and they just really started laying into the way I believe, how will I react? We're assured that the Spirit will guide us, that He will guide us, and, and the same with you know, us as a church. But we, we will have persecution. We will have hardships. But God is always with us. That's the assurance. I want to close with this scripture. I think it sums up everything in regards to what we've been looking at. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. I've read this many times just to read it for comfort. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Persecution or famine? Or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our comfort.
Blessed are those that mourn, they shall be comforted. That's our comfort, not things of the world, not in ourselves, but in these sayings here and the assurance that God will always be with us. Thank you.